There's a tradition in the church that when someone becomes a bishop, they pick out a particular motto, and usually they have a coat of arms that kind of goes with that, and sort of it kind of, I think, is intended to sum up what they hope to achieve by the ministry, kind of like the underlying goal that they have. And it's interesting, if you look at the four bishops in the history of the Diocese of Charlotte, we have a young diocese, it was only founded in 1972, but our first bishop was Bishop Michael Bagley, and his motto was Deligimus Fratres, which means let us love the brethren. It's a really nice one. Our next bishop, Bishop Dunahue's, was to live in Christ. Uh, bishop Curlin, of happy memory, was Centiri Cum Christo, uh, to think with or to feel with the mind of Christ. And that comes from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And of course now we have Bishop Jugis, and his is Caritas Christi Urgent Nos. The love of Christ impels us, which I really like a lot. It's sort of like if you think about us as like a big car, it's like the gas tank is full of the love of Christ, right? It keeps us going, keeps us moving on. It's a really pretty one. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see and just to know about those mottos. And of course, when I was in the seminary, one of the sort of little like games that we would play when we didn't know what was coming and what it would mean to be something like a bishop, we used to joke around and say, what would your motto be? You know, and guys would come up with different things. And it's fun when you take certain lines out of scripture and have them stand alone. Like we would say about like, say a guy who is known for his really smelly feet, right? So, like, you'd have that. You take the line from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John when Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead and he tells them to take away the stone after Lazarus had been dead for four days. And we said that this would be this guy's motto, Oh Lord, there will be a stench. You know, so to have something like that, just, you know, it's kind of a fun game to play. Well, one of my buddies always used to say that there was a line from this gospel that would be his Episcopal motto. And as soon as I saw that this was the gospel for this weekend, it was like, okay, no debate on what's going on the sign down by the street. His motto would be, have you anything here to eat? Isn't that great? It's a wonderful way to start your Episcopal ministry, have you anything here to eat? But it's funny how as you kind of like grow and mature and deepen in your love of sacred scripture, right? It's, it's the beautiful thing about it where it's ever ancient, ever new, and always revealing itself. That line, even if it does sound kind of funny on its own, is really important and in some ways can sort of be a great motto for all of us. Have you anything here to eat? And why do I say that? When you look at this gospel, and by the way, I highly recommend later today, get the full context. Go home and read all of Luke 24 because you notice the way that it began. It said the two disciples re recounted what had taken place on the way. Well, those two disciples are the two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem and on the way is on the way to Emmaus. And we kind of know that story well, where they're walking away, they're downcast, they're upset because Jesus has been killed. You know, they just, they don't know what to think about it. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus walking with them, but they don't recognize that it's him. And he gradually opens up to them the scriptures, and their hearts are burning within them. And they invite him to stay with them, with them for dinner. And what happens, as we hear today, 
he's made known to them in the breaking of the bread made known to them by the Eucharist. And what do they do? They run back to Jerusalem, I think it was seven miles, to tell everybody. And just as they were counting this, here's Jesus in their midst. And of course, the apostles are blown away. It says that they are startled and terrified. They think they're seeing a ghost. Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bones, right? Ghosts don't have that. Look at my hands and my feet. I have these wounds that I just got a few days ago. Here I am. And I love this. When they were still incredulous for joy. It's a great line. Incredulous for joy. It's so good. The news is so good, they can't hardly believe it, right? I mean, imagine this. Think about like Christmas morning and you just opened up your new Nintendo 64 and you're like beyond excited. You can't even contain it. You're incredulous for joy, just beyond excited. And what does Jesus say to them? Not believe it, guys. He says, have you anything here to eat? Isn't that great? brings them down to the fact that this is really real. They give him a piece of baked fish. He eats it in front of them. Now, a couple of things that points to for us. First of all, remember, he is really and truly risen from the dead, body and soul, right? He is there totally. Those wounds are real. The wounds that he won for us on the cross continue to be there in heaven. And this material reality is a good thing. And he's showing that. This is a real happening. And he's eating this fish to show them that. So the thing to remember for all of us is that, hey, it's not like we're trying to escape this material world. But the one thing that I would say there is, remember, this is the Son of God doing this. These things point to him. If you go back to the Genesis account of creation, God creates it all and sees what? That it's good. And he's showing us that here even more so. But it's there to help point towards him. Think about this. And we were in Lent just a couple weeks ago, right? And as we get towards the end of Lent sometimes, it's almost like you get used to the fasting. You get used to a lot of the sacrifices and a lot of the extra spiritual practices are so good. And in some ways, it's like, you know what? I don't really mind that I gave up something and I'm drinking herbal tea at night instead. You know, it's like, okay, I don't really like the herbal tea better, but okay, it's all right. I'm, I'm living, I'm doing fine. And the extra spiritual practices are good and wonderful. And it's like we're growing in this love. Now, here we are three weeks into Easter. And sometimes it's like, okay, we don't have to do this stuff anymore. Hooray. I'm going to have 14 pounds of Snickers. Okay, as you know, that's not good, right? I mean, it's wonderful to have a snicker. It's wonderful to have a piece of baked fish. But when we do too much of it, right, it doesn't make us happy. In fact, it gives us a stomachache or a cavity or whatever else, right? We should celebrate with things like even non-herbal tea, right? But not with too much of it and at the wrong time. I've been pretty happy that I'm not drinking herbal tea at night anymore, right? but I haven't had so much of it that I can't come to Mass in the morning. You know, it's okay to celebrate, but we do that in the right way at the right time. We thank God for all of his gifts, for the gift of candy, by not having too much of it, by celebrating, right? You don't celebrate your friend's birthday by eating a whole birthday cake. It's just not a good idea. So we have these things, and they're good to have, and we should celebrate, but the right way and at the right time. But even deeper than that, 
When you look at what else is being eaten in this gospel, how is Jesus revealed to them? In the breaking of the bread. Not only is material reality good, but God lifts it up to a higher level. And even us ourselves, he builds on our characteristics and makes us greater than we were just born in this world the way that we were in the very beginning. Think about the apostles and the way that they are. Just a couple of weeks ago, these are the guys who abandoned him at his hour of greatest need, right? When the going got tough in the garden, they all got going. Notice, though, the women stayed put. Mary Magdalene, his mother, there they are at the foot of the cross. The apostles run away. But look at the difference now. When the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles There's Peter saying some, frankly, very difficult things, telling them that, hey, you killed him. Even when Pilate was ready to let him go, you demanded his death. And then how does he soften the blow? Don't worry, you're dumb. He says, you know, you acted out of ignorance. I mean, if I did something like that, right, if I went to downtown Salisbury, it's like, hey, everybody, you're a bunch of murderers, okay? Don't worry about it, you're a bunch of idiots too. I mean, that doesn't really, like, win them all over. But look, look, people are cut to the heart. And this is the same Peter who just a couple weeks ago denied Jesus to a servant girl when she just said, wait, you sound like you're from Galilee too. I don't know the man. And now he's standing up. He's a witness to Christ. I mean, he's out there doing incredible things. My brothers and sisters in Christ, he builds on us as well. Yes, we've fallen. We've made mistakes along the way. But what does he come to to preach? repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And those apostles who he says at the end of the gospel today, you are witnesses of these things. And we're called to be witnesses too. Why? Because this is real. And this is where the last bit of the food comes in. He builds on our nature. He also builds on the nature of bread and wine. Those elements that come forward for the Eucharist cease to be bread and wine and become his very self. He gives us something to eat. He gives us himself. And we become more and more part of the body of Christ. He gives us his own self to give us the strength to be like those apostles, to go out in the world to be witnesses. And the great glory of that line Have you anything here to eat? It's that reminder that, my friends, this is real. This is tangible. This is actually happening and continues to happen. At every single Mass, he gives us himself in the same way that he's telling them, look, everything that the prophets said, all that the scriptures said about me, it's true. It's come to fulfillment that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead. And that's what he's done. And in the same way that he said, and take bread and say, take this all of you and eat it, for this is my body. It's true. His words are fulfilled. He doesn't lie to us. He doesn't even just speak merely symbolically. This is real. And the beautiful thing about it is a line like, have you anything here to eat? Reminds us of that fact. He builds on nature. He loves us so much. He loves us where we are, but loves us too much to leave us there. He continues to be there with us, to lift us up, to go out there and do what? To be witnesses to his resurrection. Why? Because it's real. And he wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to be in love with him. And he wants us to be witnesses that we may draw everyone in 
to this love that is so good. My brothers and sisters in Christ, think about this when you eat, right? Have you anything here to eat? The resurrected Lord ate baked fish. It is real. He's risen from the dead. He gives us himself. And because of that, we can go out there and be witnesses and really and truly say like him and mean it and not be cynical. Peace be with you. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever.